All right, good. So my name is Brennan, Brennan Evans. I've got four of the kids running around back there. And um, today was uh, my opportunity to uh, continue on our look at the various lives of, of um, people out of the Bible. And um, today I was able to give you the go over the life of Job. Um, let's go to that first slide. Uh, but before we get, begin, um, let me just introduce the book. I don't know how, how many have read the book of Job in the last 12 months? A couple? How many have tried and, and given up somewhere in the middle <laughs> because of the difficult language? I can relate to that as well. Um, it is a difficult book. Um, it's somewhat unique um, in the Bible um, because it's kind of the story of Job. Uh, it has elements of most of its poetry, which puts it next to Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, which kind of requires a different way of looking at it, kind of reading through it. Um, it's almost like reading Shakespeare. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll hear in the dialogues, you'll, you'll hear one of his friends say, Job, do this. And Job is re- doesn't respond directly to him. He says, well, I'm in pain. And then he'll maybe transition and start talking to God. And then the dialogue continues. Um, sometimes Job then swings back to him. So this is kind of the structure of Job. So it makes it a, a, a something of, requires a little bit of thought or maybe a, a good commentary. I certainly needed uh, more than one to kind of work through all of it. And then at the end, I found some good sermons. I went, oh, I should have just read those instead. <laughs> it saved me a lot of um, time. But before we go, I, I think because Job really talks about emotions and talks about suffering, Job's story is really about finding God in the midst of what we can't see and what we can't experience. Things that we see in life that just isn't right. Um, if we think back a couple weeks, um, a couple weeks ago, uh, we went over the story of Ruth. And I thought about, in that story, there's a story for Naomi in there too. She comes back and she says, don't call me Naomi, call me, is it Mara? Call me bitterness. And in, under God's umbrella that she can't see, he says, no, you're Naomi, and I'm going to bless, bless you. And I think in some way, Job's story is kind of like that. He can't see what's about to happen. So before we go, let's go ahead and lower the lights if we have light controls. And I'm going to uh, go over the video first. Well, I, I won't deny that I've 
So in, in, Job's, in Job's life, you can certainly see he was suffering. And uh, I want to, today I really want to go into a little bit of his suffering, but also the, the path he takes to get to that, that point of hallelujah. I mean, how do you answer the question of suffering with a hallelujah? This is really what Job is learning in this story. He's coming with a deeper understanding of what God's doing in his life without really having the question that he thinks he needs to have answered. Why is this happening? Being answered in the way that he thinks it should be answered. So I think the, the video gave us a good idea of kind of what he was going through. You see his outcast under a tree, soars with some sort of help um, that wasn't very helpful. Um, coming to him, uh, and really what he was needing was, was God to answer, answer him. And he needed to have a realization or a growth in himself that really lets him receive what God wants to breathe into his life. So let me start off and go into um, kind of what got him into that place. So I'm just going to read this first verse here for you. There was a man in the land of, I don't know how to say this, Uz, the land of the man of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now one day, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the, in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were, pl- were, were plowing And the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three columns, made a raid on the camels and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their eldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came across the desert, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are all dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Just hold on there. Um, That's a... It's a bad day. It's a really bad day. Everyone's experienced a bad day. I've, I've had days I thought were bad. None quite like this. So we start. We started off in that the the the, the first verse says Job was a good man, a righteous man, who feared God and turned away from evil. And I didn't put in the statements in the in the, the text I put up there, but every day when his when his kids would feast at each other's house and enjoy life, he would pray for them, and sacrifice them, just in case they had perhaps sinned, and he would. So he would intercess for them, always being mindful of God. And then this happens. 
let's just go to the next next page and get another page of verse, uh, verses here. So how does he respond? Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I have come from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. That's a that's not not a kind of response that I think I would I would attain. He responds in worship. You know, he's he's bereft of children. He lost all his kids. He lost the continuation of his line. He lost his valuables. He lost his his resources. He's now standing there with, with nothing. And he goes back and says, Blessed be God. And I, I think if 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 don't you go back there, but remember I said, and I alone have, have come to build you like, was it four or five times? And the fire of God and the wind. Job recognizes God's hand behind this. There's no doubt in his mind that what just happened to him happened because of something. He doesn't know why, but he knows that God's behind it. It wasn't just happenstance. There's, you know, you know the house fell, the Chaldeans, the Sabians, everything happened in one day. That's more than just circumstance. So, I think perhaps for our benefit, the, the prologue kind of gives us an understanding of what's going on here. This is a perspective that Job doesn't have. But, but God provides for us in, in our own understanding of, of the book. So in Job 2, two th- uh, chapter 2 um, and following, the Lord said to, to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for sin, skin for skin. All that that man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So we see that God has lifted up. God is immensely proud of Job. He loves on him. And he says to the accuser, which is the, the, um, what Satan means. You can call it the, the Satan as it's, as it's in Job. He says, look what I have here. And so this event came through here. Am I, am I popping too much? Hello. That's better. I will talk in my deep voice. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. So we see that God is showing Satan something in his majesty, in his works that he is doing on the earth here. But Job doesn't see this right now. But Job has responded in the way that God expected him. And God knew 
that his life and, and his majesty would be expressed in the, in the world. But after this, um, Job's, Job's wife doesn't quite take it as well. His wife says to him, after um, what happens next is Job is afflicted with sores and has become outcast, and he ends up under that tree with all the ashes on him, um, scraping them off. He's in now bad condition as, as he's now been afflicted. His wife says to him, Are you still holding firmly to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he replied, You're talking like one of the godless women would do. Should we receive what is good from God and not receive what is evil? In all this, Job did not sin by what he said. Next slide. So I just want us to look at that. Um, you, know, you, you can really see that in, in Job's response, he came to a point of worship. Um, and he leaned into God, not knowing what the circumstances is. I think there's good advice in that. When tragedy strikes and something unforeseen hits, to lean into God, and God is there behind us. And another thing, uh, maybe on the next slide here, God is in control. Um, I almost put the Spanish version of, of, of Satan's dialogue, except for I don't speak Spanish well enough to, to, help, to do it justice. But it's definitely spoken in an imperative uh, or in a directive like saying, you do this. This is not the way I'm accustomed to hearing people address God in scriptures. And, and you have this, this scenario played out. God's gathered all his angelic beings and the accuser comes up and says God you didn't do enough he's still gonna he's still gonna screw up curse him or make him put him in this place and God says God still has this plan of revealing himself in, in, in the story of Job so one thing is we learn kind of about the, the nature of what the enemy is trying to do. The, the nature of the enemy um, uh, is somewhat based in cynicism, somewhat based in this unbelief. God, I don't trust you. God, I don't trust that you are good in what's going on here. I don't believe you. And he desires to destroy our relationship with God. I mean, God kind of baited Satan in this. He said, look at, look at, look at my, my prized jewel, the best of the best. And Satan says, you know, Satan can't, can't, can't walk by a, a, a candy, um, as it were. He wants to destroy it. And God, in his, in his majesty as we'll find out, he's going to refine Job through, through the suffering. And God is above all. He, he said, very well, then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. And I, I put in the, the little thing out of Romans. I, had, I found myself having to go to the New Testament a couple of times as I was reading through Job because I find it a little depressing. Um, <laughs> as, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. Another reason why I jump to the New Testament is we have a perspective that Job didn't have. And I want to bridge that. I mean, Job is... We don't really know when the book of Job was written. It could have been written from the time of the kings to, I don't know, way earlier. Uh, but he didn't quite have an understanding of 
what happens when, when you die. He didn't know about Jesus, obviously. He was a little bit before his time. Um, but he knew that there's God. And he knew, I think, that the common theology of the day was really that if you worship God, he will bless you in this life. And he punishes the wicked. So let's go, um, and really this is kind of where we're going to transition into most of the book of Job is all this bit of poetry. So far, we've gotten two chapters into 42, so I should probably catch, uh, speed up a little bit. Um, so we have um, a series of talks. He has three friends, um, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, who are going to come and talk with him. They're going to try to kind of correct him. Um, and help him out as, as best as they know how. And it really comes out of um, a mindset, kind of like we'd see in, in, Proverbs, in Proverbs. You know, the wicked will, will get their due. And we see this in, you know, in the Psalms, and, and certainly in the covenant of God in Israel. You know, that, but is it always true that if you're suffering, it's because you're wicked? This is kind of what they struggle with. So next slide here. Um, let's go one more. So, as I mentioned before, it is the, Job is kind of like these, these, these wisdom literature. You'll see in Job language um, that you would see, let's say, in, in Proverbs. It kind of gives a, a hint of how to read it and how to understand it. That sometimes you're going to see a line of poetry, another line of poetry, and they go together. And like Shakespeare... Job is full of mixed metaphors. So you have to be ready to compare, I don't know, a rock with, I don't know, a hard heart, I guess. Now, Job starts out his dialogue really with a complaint. He actually begins by cursing the day he was born. He is not happy with life. All he is experiencing right now is that he's lost everything. And his wife, his closest confidant, has just told him to curse God and die. That's not a, uh, probably not a good conversation to have, I think, in your marriage. And so he is really feeling alone. And what he says to God is, why was I born? I think it would have been better off if I wasn't born. God, why, can't, why couldn't I have been stillborn? Can we, can we go back and change it, please? And right now I'm just going to sit in pain. And let's go to the next slide. And so he begins this dialogue, and this is actually his response, I think, to Eliphaz. Um, and something I wanted to pause down, because I think it's really good if, if, if we're in a point of struggle. I think Job's a really good guy to um, identify with. He says, when I lie down, I say... When shall I arise? But the night is long, and I am full of tossing till the dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens and breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never see again, will never again see good. This is... The, st- the state of Job in the beginning of this dialogue. Um, I don't know if, if 
you've ever felt that kind of depression. I, um, I would think that most of us have at some point in our lives felt the agony that he's going through, um, either emotionally or, or just through the circumstances of life. And now Job knows that he didn't do anything to cause this godly calamity that's come upon him. He doesn't know why. Um, now his friends have an idea of what's going on here. So um, now the book of Job kind of has this back and forth dialogue. Job complains. Eliphaz says something. Job responds. Then Bildad gets his turn. And then Zophar gets his turn. And it kind of goes on and on for about um, like 25 chapters. So um, I'm going to shorten that down a little bit. So I'm going to turn the next, the next slide here. And we're going to look at, I'm going to summarize kind of Eliphaz. Um, I think Eliphaz in many ways is kind of the, the kindest of his friends more um, pastoral um, in his approach. He wants to correct uh, Zophar, uh, not Zophar, uh, uh, Job. And so uh, the, first, the first set of dialogue, I, I put on the top line there um, kind of his statement and then kind of his correction of what, he, what Job should do in his response. So first Eliphaz says, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Don't de- despise the chastening of the Almighty. Now, as he goes on, his patience, his friend's patience start to dwindle. And, and, and Job's uh, patience or, or his agony is starting to, to turn into a, a little bit of frustration and, and more of a turning from his agony, as we'll see, to a call out to, to God. So Eliphaz in the next round says, The wicked man rise with pain all his days. Job, your, your own mouth condemns you. And then he says, is not your wickedness great and your iniquity without end? Acquaint yourself with him, please. Return to the Almighty. So that's, that's Eliphaz's kind, uh, uh, kind words um, to Job and his suffering after traveling you know, from his country to, 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 to comfort Job. So let's look at uh, his other friend. This is uh, Bildad. I call him tough love. Does God subvert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? Seek God, be pure and upright. Now, Bildad, in the next round, he, he says, The light of the wicked indeed goes out. Listen to us and gain understanding. Job, you're not getting it. Shape up. Now, now Job, maybe I'll, I'll just finish off. Uh, um, and then finally he says, how then can man, man be righteous before God? At this point, Bildad's kind of like fizzled out. And he, he kind of drops off the, um, uh, off the argument radar. Um, and Job, the whole time, is saying, my righteousness is intact. Where is my Redeemer? My Redeemer must be out there. Please show it to me. And friends, you guys are not helping me out here. Um, and then we have Zophar. I'd say Zophar is, I'll call him fed up. I think it's. I'm just trying to you know, give you a cartoon version of these guys, but I think it, 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 it kind of captures their personality well enough. For he knows the deceitful man; he sees wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? Prepare your heart and stretch your hands toward him. Put iniquity far away. And the second round, he says, "The triumph, 
The triumphing of the wicked is short. That sounds like a pro- proverb, doesn't it? Um, and then he just kind of gives up at that point. We don't even get a, He doesn't enter in the third round. He's kind of stewing at this point. Um, now, Job has a set of responses. Um, um, and you can kind of hear Job's tra- uh, progression. I kind of put him against each of them three, Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far. But in the first time he says, I loathe my life. Let me alone. And kind of in the middle of this dialogue, he says, I'm blameless. Show me why you contend with me. I mean, in, in, their, in their minds, they're saying, well, you must have done something wrong. Karma. So they, <laughs> that's, 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 that's right. You know, this is, you know, God's paying it back is, 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 is kind of their mindset. And it's really the prevalent mindset of, of the day. And I think something we kind of fall into ourselves and, and finally, you know, Job says to Eliphaz, you're all worthless physicians. I desire to reason with God. Because obviously you are not capable of understanding what's going on here. And to build a similar uh, response, miserable comforters are you all. Surely even now my witness, my innocence is in heaven. And this is, I think, a, a hint of, of, of when we start to see Job starting to to come to a fuller understanding of, of, of God. Because early on in that prologue, uh, in, in the beginning of the book, we see that he's doing everything he can through ritual and his hope of what God is. But he doesn't really understand that God is behind and still there's a redeemer out there for him. You've wronged me and have pity on me. And he says, kind of to their, their theological statement, he said, I've seen the wicked get old, get wealthy, and whatnot. And then finally to, to Zophar, oh, that I might present my case before him. Far be it from me that I should say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put my integrity from me. Because his friends are trying to position Job to sort of, in some kind of cra- not a crazy way, but in some way, kind of like what his wife was saying, just give up, roll over, and pony up. So that's um, let's go to the next slide. We have no slide. All right. Um, well, we'll catch up. I'll just kind of talk through it. Um, what we're going to move to. Um, the next slide I have it really just says a friend in need, when, you know, kind of the, the the adage a friend in need is a, a friend indeed. But uh, uh, obviously these are not the, the kinds of friendship that that Job needs. Um, now, kind of getting back to um, to the book, it's it's a um, we kind of see a transition. We've gone through this dialogues. And there's this kind of this beautiful kind of poem kind of stuck in right there in the middle about the wisdom of God. You know, I will read it to you. Where are we? Oh, this is a little bit earlier on. Um, 
So this is, um, this is Job 19.25-27. This is actually a little bit in the middle of the dialogue, but it, I, it really captures, I think, a, a really important change in, in, what, in what, what, what Job's learning. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus destroyed, yet my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. So in the midst of this suffering, I mean, God has put the seed in Job that is now calling out to God in a way that really hasn't been well expressed within, within, um, uh, within his life, within really the, the history of Israel. I mean, he's kind of, I wouldn't say he's necessarily prophesying towards Jesus, but you see that element. He's saying, God, you're not just in this life. There is something in your nature that is going to preserve me, that is going to redeem the situation, even if I die, because I am dying as I'm sitting here with these boils that are not going away. Let's push forward to, um, so we can finish up here. Let's go one more. Um, let's see here. To kind of make up time, let's, let's go to the next slide here. So this is, this is that poem on wisdom. I, I, it's kind of stuck right in the middle of the book kind of divides off this, this talk of the friends and, and Job's growth. And you can kind of see the deficiency and the shortness of kind of their theology. And then we see this, this talk about God and his wisdom and how majestic it is. But wisdom, where can it be found? Where is the place of understanding? Mankind does not know its place and it cannot be found in the land of the living. God's, God understands the way to it, and he alone knows its place. And he looked at the wisdom and assessed its value. He established it and examined it closely. He said to mankind, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So this, this poem here, uh, I'll point out a couple things. One is, as we look at it, it kind of describes how difficult it is beyond man's greatest reach, man's greatest engineering achievements. There's not wisdom there. Man's greatest economic accomplishments, the sophistication we have in society, wisdom's not there. It's beyond the capability of man to get it. Right? It really requires something else. And he finishes off with this last statement, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So if you go back to the Job, Job 1.1, that's exactly how Job was being described. And it also serves that kind of, kind of book ending. We kind of know that that portion of Job um, kind of is brought us to a point, and now we're going to move kind of to where the Lord himself speaks to Job. So next slide. So, so as we've seen, um, just kind of recap where we have been. Um, he's discovering a deeper faith. I mean, really, this is something he really wasn't in the theology textbooks of the day. 
but Job is learning this um, and really is starting to look towards a hope beyond his life. And really in our own suffering, it's a, I think it's a great reminder that thankfully we have Jesus and his work on the cross. And we can look back, you know, to, um, to the lives of the saints. I mean, the, the Hebrews chapter 11 goes to this great little passage reminding us of all the heroes of faith. You know, Job, Job didn't have this understanding of that after we die, the Lord has welcomed us into his presence. I mean, he's learning this. This is what he's going through. He's learning through this through his suffering. You know, I'll just, I'll just read this from, from uh, um, Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? For time will, f- will fail me. Actually, well, uh, if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Through faith they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, put foreign, foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead, raised to life. But others were tortured, not accepting release, to obtain resurrection to a better life. And others experienced mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sought apart, murdered with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. You know, Job's gone through a period of affliction. I think in our lives we want to say it was something that someone horrible did. Um, but here... In God's own justice and his wisdom and indeed his mercy for for Job in his life, he's allowing this to happen to him. I mean, he's he's showing up Satan. Job has still held on to his righteousness. Uh, But Job, his uh, mind is still a little bit too small and God's expanding that. And so we're seeing real growth in there uh, in, in sort of his, his response. And really, um, let's go to the next one, slide. I'm going to try to speed up through these last few. Um, God's speaking to Job. Next one. So this is uh, Elihu. He, he actually takes up you know five good chapters in here. So I'm just going to summarize his statement. Um, he's somewhat, I find uh, Elihu as, as, as a character somewhat enigmatic. But I'm going to, um, uh, and if you read the commentary, some uh, laud his his person, and others say, you know, he's just kind of a, a summary of, of, of his other friends. And actually what we see is a little bit of, of arguments that the friends have put forth that Job has refuted. But we also see in Elihu kind of this transition into what God wants to reveal to Job. And um, the first thing he comes out of the gate, he says, um, this is in 32.2, that Elihu, the son of... Barakel the Buzite, the family of Ram, came very angry. He was angry for, with Job for justifying himself rather than God. And with Job's free, three friends, because he was also angry because they could not find an answer. So, um, Job has been defending himself um, to his friends. Uh, he hasn't quite seen God for being God yet. He's still seeing God with this, this 
this veil of his own um, insecurity and the veil of his own suffering. Um, I don't have that. I took it out for good reason. Um, so Elihu, um, what we see in this part of, of, of the book of Job is Job kind of recounts everything he's gone through, his suffering, his, the, the good life that he had, the suffering he went through, and the agony that he is in, and kind of his, his cry out for God to come to speak to him. And that was kind of the, what happens right before this. And then Elihu speaks and says, Job, you were looking at the wrong thing. This, the argument that you've been having is kind of at the wrong level. You need to kind of come up and look at God for being God. And so once, once Eli, Elihu finishes, um, let me next slide, God speaks. So this is, um, this is the last few chapters of Job. It's actually pretty magnificent if you read it. But if you read it and you just kind of look into it, you're like, God's just asking Job a bunch of questions that don't really relate to everything else that's going on here. Um, let me just uh, let me just describe kind of what, what, what the way the Lord opens up. Who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Get ready for a difficult task like a man. I will question you and you will inform me. It's like being called to the principal's office. Um, and then uh, verse 12. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or made the dawn know its place? That it might seize the corners of the earth and shake the wicked out of it. Are you acquainted with the way the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch as the wild deer give birth to their young? Do you count the months they must fulfill? And most, and God goes, gives these questions over and over and over and over again. I think the, the, the response is kind of obvious, right? Uh, so in the process, this is kind of like a, like a teaching technique. God is describing something about himself that's different than Job. Job is coming to realize that, oh, uh-oh. But in the same time, I think there's something real beautiful that, that's, that's captured in this. God came down and gave Job that burning bush moment. He respected Job's cry. And in his anguish, he comes down and says, here, let me talk to you. And it's not this kind of talking to you that you know, is going to burn you up. It's the kind of talking to you that, that heals you. So after this series of questions, Job's response, he says, I'm, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I'll just be quiet. I, I don't think God was really actually satisfied with that response. I don't think that's really necessarily a, a point of repent, repentance. I think God has to kind of, he turns the this, this screws one more time. Um, and I think in the, the next slide... Let's see here, Job 47. Um, this is, so this is after Job says, I've got nothing to say. I was stupid. I'm quiet now. I'm listening. And this is after that first set of questions. And God says, again, again, 
Get ready for a difficult task like a man. I will question you and you will inform me. I think we just heard that. Would you indeed annul my justice? Would you declare me guilty so that you might be right? Do you have an arm as powerful as God's? And can you, th- and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself then with majesty and excellency and clothe yourself with glory and honor. Scatter abroad the abundance of your anger. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and abase him. Crush the wicked on the spot. Hide them in the dust together. Imprison them with the, in the grave. Then I, my, I myself will acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. And after this, God goes on to describe the most majestic of majestic of beasts. This is where we get the, the description of the behemoth and the leviathan. In kind of the same way that God has just described all the the elements of nature, these wild animals, the deer. You can't control a deer. They run away, you know, try to grab a... Uh, or, um, uh, and so between these descriptions of the majesty of God, you have this little statement in here. And Job finally responds. He says, hopefully I wrote, hopefully I wrote it down. Um, Job responds and he says, I'm unworthy. I repent in dust and ashes. And Job gets it. He gets that his wisdom, his mindset is not capable of dealing at the same level and able to capture what God is doing. But at the same time, he's grown in his understanding of God's goodness at the same time without really having this question of why am I in this circumstance really being answered in the way he thought. He's gone from, like we saw in that video, that point of why to that point of hallelujah. And that trust that God will save him either in this life or in his own time, even if that's after he dies. So in the, in the epilogue, I think it's just kind of a footnote, um, and I think it's also there for us. God restores Job. He doubles his money. He doubles his children. He, doub- he lets Job live 140 years. So he's the, we said, the children to the fourth generation. God kind of treats himself like a thief. He's paying out double um, to, to the suffering he gave to Job. Certainly, obviously, we've just learned, not because he has to, but really out of his mercy and grace. And I thought to myself, you know, that really explains, you know, something in Job that I, I was missing for a while. It's just like, because at some point I started to feel that is God just being flippant in, in sort of his wrath. But we see in Job that he is bringing to Job an understanding of his life. And really, and we can see in this epilogue, I don't think necessarily we need to, Job didn't actually need to be restored to prosperity. God did the work in him. And if that, if that epilogue was, and then Job died, um, you know, I would, have, I would have been satisfied with that. But God, I think, had that moment. He wrote down the, the, the element of his mercy and his compassion that he is love behind everything else. So I think I have a, I have a song that I would like, um, I know we're about a couple minutes. Actually, I don't know when we're supposed to end. Uh, Let's just close our eyes. I have our, you can look at this little picture here. Hopefully we get the, the audio going. Um, this is just kind of a, a response song. And then maybe after that, um, 
as it kind of winds down, maybe we can get some people up here to and do a uh, get some people up for prayer um, and just kind of you know while you listen to this, think about of the suffering you've gone through, the suffering you know, and what God's call is um, for you today. God, 
out to Jesus and feel his comfort and get some of his love and some of his peace in our suffering. Maybe understanding, maybe not. Maybe we just need that touch from Jesus. Lord, I thank you most definitely that you provided your son to bridge that gap for us. To provide the the thing that Job could only hope for, that he had faith for, Lord, that you have given to us and that we can rely on as a solid rock of our faith, Lord. Lord, we thank you. And you repay, amen.